Welcome to the Healing Ground Movement, a podcast dedicated to revolutionizing how we think about our bodies and our health. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Hudson, DC, and I have lived my life in pursuit of holistic healing and care that goes beyond symptom management. If you've been listening and like what you're hearing, head over to your favorite platform and leave us a review so we can reach more people with our important message. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to another episode of the Healing Ground Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Hudson, and with me today is Trisha Downing. Yay! Yay. <laughs> I'm so excited to have Trisha with us. Uh, Trisha is an athlete, author, and resilient speaker. She has competed in the 2016 Paralympics, and she helps individuals thrive, not just survive, through adversity. And I'm just so thrilled to hear more about your story and share some of the things that you've been working on to create that impact. Um, to help people to have that that sense of thriving as well. So thank you for Absolutely, joining us today. Absolutely, sure. Thanks for having me. Hey. Well, so my first question is always, um, when was movement first fun for you? Wow. Well, <laughs> um, I think movement was first fun for me when I was probably, I would say, four. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's what that's when I first really remember having meaningful movements. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom took me to the pool for my first swimming lesson, and that actually didn't go well. So that wasn't that, <laughs> that wasn't, wasn't the it. movement that was really sticking in my head mm-hmm. fondly. But um, I, you know, we had a very outdoor. Um, kid-friendly neighborhood Mm -hmm. and so we were always running up and down the streets we were riding bikes we were always outside and Mm -hmm. that's you know what I really remember about my childhood is I just don't remember spending a lot of time (laughs) playing inside it was just it was just an outside kind of thing perfect and were you always competitive in your movement and your activities or is that something that sort of showed up later in life Uh, no I think I was well, I think when I started competing in mm-hmm. swimming, which I went back, so I started at four, tried to start at four, didn't work, went back at five, and I actually kind of took to it. Mm-hmm. And then I started competing when I was seven. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I don't know, you know, where or why that competitive streak came in to me, mm-hmm. but I realized very quickly that if you go the fastest, you get a really pretty blue ribbon at the end. And and I wanted to be the fastest, yeah. person, you know, like, and I was just, I was very competitive as a seven and eight-year-old awesome. um, and have been ever since. Wonderful. And so what were your, what sports did you compete in through adolescence? Was it always swimming or? Swimming was where I started. Mm -hmm. And then I started gymnastics in second grade. And then I, um, in high school, Mm -hmm. I kind of did swimming and gymnastics off and on all through my, you know, school years. And then high school, I did two years of swimming and two years of gymnastics. Mm -hmm. And then in college, I started diving. And then my uh, adult life, (laughs) I was a cyclist, Mm -hmm. and then now I'm a para-athlete. Wonderful. And and so kind of talking about that shift and that change to the type of um, athleticism that you've been able to enjoy, can you talk a little bit about the accident that made that shift for you? Yeah, so I um, took up cycling in my late Mm -hmm. 20s. And it was a result of an internship that I did at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. Mm-hmm. I, for grad school, did an internship with USA Cycling. And um, at the time, for me, cycling really meant 
transportation, you know, yeah. was the way that I got to swim team practice when I was a kid or I got to my friends' houses and, and things like that. Um, but after this internship, you know, mm -hmm. after watching all these bike races and learning more about the sport, I decided that I wanted to be a bike racer. And yes. what, I, what was really intriguing to me was the track. So um, racing on the velodrome, which is an oval track for bikes. Okay. Um, you have bikes that have one gear and no brakes. And the no racing, <laughs> no brakes, the racing oh, is um, exciting, mm -hmm. it's fast, it's um, a little bit terrifying, and yeah. there are some really bad crashes. Um, but aside from that, I was like, this is the most exciting thing I've ever seen. How do you stop if there's no brakes? So, <laughs> You use your legs to slow the momentum of the bike. Okay. Okay. Yes. That, I, I guess I could have gotten there, but mostly I'm just terrified. So, right <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I was racing on the track, but mm -hmm. the, the track races are really short. Mm -hmm. And um, I, at one point, hired a coach. And the coach, um, my coach said, you know, you really have to get on the road to get the miles mm -hmm. that you need to get the fitness and, the, you know, the speed work and distance and, you know, all of that. So yeah. I started training on the road. And then as a result, it just kind of naturally grew into um, road races mm -hmm. also. Nice. And so I was competing on both the road and the track. And um, in 2000, I quit my job in Colorado Springs and mm -hmm. moved back to Denver, where I'm from, moved um, back into my childhood home <laughs> so I didn't have to pay rent. And I got a job with the Denver Public School System mm -hmm. so I would have the summers off. Um, I wanted to be responsible and earn money like an adult, mm -hmm. but I wanted to have the summers off to race. And so awesome. the summer of 2000, I traveled by myself from Colorado to Wisconsin, Indiana, and Pennsylvania, and raced in 20-some races in the course of the summer. And um, that was sort of going to be the big kickoff to trying to become an elite cyclist. Mm -hmm. And um, at the end of that summer, in September, I was on a training ride with a friend um, coming home from Lookout Mountain in Golden. And we were coming westbound back into Denver, and there was a car that was going westbound to Golden, mm -hmm. and um, got into the left turn lane and turned left onto the street that we were actually crossing. And I watched my friend get around the car. He had to swerve out of his way to get mm -hmm. around the front of the car. Um, but I, you know, wasn't thinking that this car was actually not seeing us. Yeah. Um, but by the time I realized that that was the case, I was impacting the car with the front wheel of my bike, and I um, was launched off my bike and landed on my back on the windshield of the car and then fell to the ground, and I knew immediately um, that I was paralyzed. I couldn't, mm -hmm. feel, I couldn't feel my legs touching the ground at all. Wow. So it was just right from that moment, you knew. Yeah. Uh, and so what happened from there? What did recovery end up looking like in that in that experience? So recovery was pretty long. Mm -hmm. I um, went to St. Anthony Hospital mm -hmm. for um, to be in the ICU there, and I ended up having my back surgery where they I shattered many vertebrae in my back. Mm -hmm. So my the rods in my back are from like T2 to T8 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, so then, you know, they stabilize you, and I, uh, you know, broke my scapula, I broke a couple of ribs, I fractured my neck, so I was in a neck collar. So all of that stuff is, you know, taken care of in the ICU. Mm -hmm. And then um, right before I left the ICU, I ended up having to have one more surgery. I had to have my gallbladder removed. Oh, wow. And then um, they sent me off to Craig Rehab Hospital in Inglewood, mm -hmm. and um, that's where I spent 
probably uh, almost three and a half months. And I was in intensive care about three and a half weeks. So like total, it was about a four month recovery mm-hmm. um, from the injury itself. And then of course the recovery or the getting back to real life. Yeah. That's a many year process. That's a whole nother story. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, and so to sort of echo them back to when was movement first fun for you, how did you um, kind of change or, or did you change your relationship with movement after this accident, going from cycling to now no longer being able to control your legs? What did movement mean to you then through all of this? Um, it was, I mean, it was a frustrating transition because mm-hmm. movement was such a big part of my life and because I was a competitive cyclist and my yeah. legs were, you know, my life, mm-hmm. um, you know, that was a big adjustment. But at the same time, um, movement is what helped me recover so quickly and um, get back to, um, I think, just real life faster. Mm-hmm. I think that there were a lot of patients that I met in Craig that, didn't move as quickly through not just the the logistical or physical part of the rehab process, but the the mental and emotional and just the acceptance process mm. of, okay, now I can't use my legs anymore. How am I going to continue with movement? Right. So how do you think movement gave you that advantage or your, your history with it? Well, I mean, I think I had really good physical awareness, mm-hmm. you know, like I know how to move my body and, and make it do what I wanted to do. But I think a lot of it came from the mental aspect of being an athlete. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, you know that a competition is going to be difficult <laughs> and, you know, you prepare yourself mentally to get through that competition mm-hmm. and to, you know, get your body to do what you want it to do, even when it says, ouch, that really hurts, you know, and your mind says, oh, but you can go a little <laughs> further. And so, you know, that's, I think, having that mentality as an athlete, um, I think was really important in, in getting back to movement and just getting back to life post-injury. Yeah. And that's a really um, great thing to think about and an advantage that you had is just that mind over matter. And, and so often we hear and we talk about how um, it is that attitude and, and it's that not just coming back to, to life, but Survive, not just surviving, but then thriving within that world. Absolutely. Um, not ex- resigning yourself to your reality, but knowing that you can embrace it. Yes. Wonderful. And that you can, <laughs> that your body is capable of a lot more than, <laughs> than you or I or anybody gives it credit for. Yeah. You know, you really can push your body further than you know. Yeah. I always think that there's sort of a never say never when it comes to recovery. That each time, and it's not going to be this miraculous overnight silver bullet kind of idea that we wish we we wish it was. It is that gritty, hard work. This hurts. This is uncomfortable. This is not what I thought I signed up for, but now I've moved the needle. Right. And mm-hmm. I love how you say that because that's exactly how I feel. Um, I had... Um, through a whole athletic career that I've had um, as a para-athlete, mm-hmm. um, I ended up injuring myself further and having some surgeries and different things and um, ended up in chronic pain. And and as that really started to sink into my head, like, mm-hmm. this is chronic. This means it's kind of here for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, no, it's not. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, there are things that I can do, and I'm going to keep doing all of those things. I'm going to research everything I could possibly research. I'm mm-hmm. going to try everything, you know, I can try, whether I find it to be really woo-woo or very scientific <laughs> yeah. or somewhere in between. I'm trying everything, and mm-hmm. I'm going to take it step by step until I can, you know, get through this. And, you know, 
I can't say I'm 100% out of pain, but you know, where I was, you know, eight years ago mm-hmm. to where I am now is night and day. That's fantastic. It's amazing. And it's, it really just has to do with your attitude of, mm-hmm. I'm not going to take no for an answer. Yeah. I'm just not. Well, and you take the onus and the responsibility on yourself. And I think there is, you know, for any of us in any level of chronic pain or difficulty, we feel like perhaps the answers should lie in somewhere else, that the doctor should give us all of the answers, everything we need. And for wherever we got that lesson or idea, it's just not true. No. No. We, no. we doctors are well-trained on a wide breadth of, of a whole lot of different topics, but no one knows what your body is going through the way you do. And taking on all of that research and the willingness to try things that seem odd or seem scary, I mean, that's what gives you an advantage, too. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, I think we put too much... Um, weight on on what the doctor says and yeah. there's so much more out there and and you're right no I mean nobody can know everything mm-hmm. and it really just takes you know learning your body and doing your research and trying everything you know being yeah. open to a lot of different avenues uh, you know other than a surgery or mm-hmm. taking pills or you know something like that because there's so many different ways that you can attack Um, healing your body. Yeah. The most common approach is not the only approach. Right. Yes. Well, I'm so impressed with all that you've done and now hearing, because I I get to work with Trish on a pretty regular basis. So hearing about all of the competitions that you go to, what are, what are you competing in now in the, as a Paralympian? Um, Well, I'm currently competing Mm -hmm. in the sport of shooting. Um, And so that is, I shoot a pistol. Mm -hmm. I shoot um, both an air pistol and uh, two different styles of 22. So I shoot at 10 meters, 25 meters, (laughs) and 50 meters. And um, so I went to the 2016 Paralympics for the 10 meter event. Mm -hmm. And I'm currently training to make the Tokyo team um, which we're in 2020 now, yeah, so I know. Can't believe um, it. the countdown is on, yeah. and um, we have our final qualifier in May. Oh, exciting. Um, <laughs> but interestingly enough, tomorrow I go to Florida to do a triathlon. Mm-hmm. Um, my second one, only my second one uh, in 10 years mm-hmm. since I first uh, injured my, re-injured or injured my shoulder from <laughs> yeah. doing triathlon in mm-hmm. a wheelchair. Oh, wow. Yeah. So tomorrow, head off, and then the triathlon is it's on Sunday. On Sunday. Good yeah. luck. Thank you. I'm Very excited. Excited. So shooting, triathlon, um, still biking. I'm trying to remember the other things that you've told me that you do. I'm just, yeah. I'm, I'm so. I lift weights. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in the triathlon, is swimming, biking, mm-hmm. and running. So yeah. I um, swim just like you would swim. And yeah. then I ride a hand cycle, which is an arm-powered bike. Mm-hmm. And then I push a racing chair, um, which is a, a kind of sleek, aerodynamic, three-wheeled mm-hmm. um, vehicle that you push with your arms. It doesn't have gears, unlike the bike. Okay. Um, so it's really the gear is like this guy, that guy, <laughs> yeah. you know, like Biceps, shoulders, triceps, here we go. you know, like, yeah. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of what it is. So. Oh, fantastic. Well, good yeah. luck. How did you find shooting? Did, had you shot before, done any shooting before your injury? I had never done any shooting before. <laughs> so how did I'd you never, <laughs> never done anything with the gun? Mm-hmm. Um, well, it just was kind of that, um, well, I guess backing up. Mm-hmm. I started doing triathlons after my injury. Mm-hmm. And um, I started with a sprint triathlon, which is pretty normal. And I 
did an Olympic distance, and then I started thinking that I, you know, I wanted to do an Ironman, mm -hmm. and so I started training for Ironman triathlons. And my goal was to be the first female paraplegic to finish the Hawaii Ironman. Mm -hmm. um, along the way, I was the first female paraplegic to finish an Ironman. <laughs> it was an Ironman in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. um, I did qualify for Hawaii twice, and I went twice, but did not finish either time. Um, but along the way. Um, uh, my shoulders got a big workout. Yeah, so that's a lot. <laughs> my training rides for the Ironman were 10 hours long. Um, so that's a long time to be going like this. And yeah. So at the end of my last Ironman, um, my shoulder was kind of done. That's kind and of the re-injury you so, mentioned. Yes, mm -hmm. right. So um, I went to physical therapy and um, my therapist said, you know, you really just need to work your back because you've been spending so much time, like, mm -hmm. you know, with your front. And so um, he suggested, you know, the rowing machine at the gym and whatever. And um, this is where that competitive person <laughs> comes out in me because instead of going to the gym and rowing, I decided that I needed to be a competitive rower. <laughs> so I threw myself into the sport of rowing mm -hmm. and um, I was recruited by U.S. Rowing to try mm -hmm. to make the 2012 Paralympic Games in London. And it was, you know, they're like, we know you're fit. We know that you're strong. You just have to learn how to row. And um, I threw myself into it, and it was just too much, too fast. Mm -hmm. And that's where my back started to go bad, and mm -hmm. I had some hip problems and um, ended up not going to London and having four surgeries instead. Mm -hmm. And that's when the chronic pain really set in. So, um, you know, I was kind of sitting with that chronic pain, and, you know, I'm like, my athletic career is over. The best I can hope for is to try to get comfortable and get out of, you know, the pain where I can't even sit up, yeah. but at least be able to sit up and go to work every day. So that was kind of the goal. But, you know, once I got there, you know, I thought, okay, I'm doing better. Mm -hmm. My pain is, you know, more under control. What can I do that's not going to tear up my body further? And I thought maybe shooting <laughs> so I um, called the national team coach and you know I said kind of what's the path to mm -hmm. the Paralympics what does it take to be a shooter at the highest level mm -hmm. and um, he kind of helped guide me through the process and you know I stayed true to you know my working hard and mm -hmm. and being competitive and and all of that and it it got me to the Paralympics so Amazing. Yeah. Well, and that's what I've just loved about getting to know you and hearing all of your stories is that you are just insatiable. And I, I feel like every time I see you in the office, you have come back from some trip around the world and are pulling yourself out of um, – uh, not sleep deprivation, jet lag, <laughs> out of jet lag to turn around and go do another thing. And that that drive and that passion is, is – um, really palpable and, and kind of um, it, it spreads and I, I just always feel like I should do more after feeling <laughs> that with you. So you're using all of this experience and all of this momentum and um, we've talked a little bit before about taking this out into the community and helping others know what it is to, to, thrive, um, to thrive in different situations. Where are you going with that? Um, well, I mean, right now mm -hmm. I, I do that through speaking mm -hmm. and doing workshops um, and also through my writing. I just I feel that a lot of people limit themselves. Mm -hmm. And I know I, I do that to myself, too. I, I set limits for myself um, in different areas of my life and have trouble getting over those barriers. Mm -hmm. and, and 
But at the same time, as an athlete, like I, I know <laughs> that a barrier is just, you know, it's just a kind of a temporary thing in your way and you, mm-hmm. you have to think your way over it or around it or whatever. And so I, I, you know, my message is just teaching people that yes, there are, there are barriers in all of our lives. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's a matter of how you think and how you, you know, kind of operate to be able to get around those barriers. And mm-hmm. I want to share my experiences with sport and with my injury and, um, you know, how to get around those, you know, when it comes to other areas of your life, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, your blocks are in business or in relationships or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, I, I always believe there's a way around it. It's yeah. just, you know, sometimes it takes longer. Sometimes it takes, you know, learning different lessons, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. I mean, I have plenty of lessons to learn, but I'm also really eager to learn, you know, yeah. like I want to know how to problem solve when I get up against one mm-hmm. of those obstacles. Well, I think there is a real opportunity to talk about mindset and appreciate that there, like you said, that there are barriers everywhere. And there's a lot of times that I've been told through my injuries, through head injury and, um, being hearing impaired and all of these different pieces that I've had, that it is, that is the most insurmountable thing. And to me, the truth is when you learn to live with something, you learn to live with something and it doesn't have to remain insurmountable. And we can know that there are other places in your life. So when you bring up businesses or for some people with relationship or finances, these are just very physical, easy to point at things. But this idea of having a growth mindset and an insatiable thirst to just do more applies everywhere. Right. And just, you know, just knowing that, you know, you might not know how to do something mm-hmm. yet, but the, the, the information is out there. The <laughs> yeah. information for anything is out there. It's just having that desire. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's where people get caught and they don't understand is that, you know, when I talk and I, you know, do my motivational speeches and I talk about doing Ironman mm-hmm. and I have people come up to me afterwards and, you know, say, wow, I could never do an <laughs> Ironman. I can't believe you do that. And, you know, my question back to them is, well, do you want to? (laughs) Because that's the thing. If you don't want to, of course you're never going to be able to because you're not going to have the passion to take the time Mm -hmm. to go to do a 10-hour bike ride or to travel across the country or across the world Mm -hmm. to go do one of these competitions. And so, you know, like, do I have the motivation to become a multimillionaire? Probably not, you know, like, sure, I'd love to make a lot of money and I want to work hard and get Mm -hmm. there. But do I want to put my whole life into, you know, doing that? No, because there's other things that I want to do. And so that's where you just have to decide what's your priority, Mm -hmm. what's your passion, and then go do that and do that to the best of your abilities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the other things, obviously, you have to do some sort of maintaining or learning or whatever along the line. But you don't have to, you know it doesn't there's not one right way to live and that's what is so you know I think difficult for people for some reason to understand I think so that there's this idea of what should be done and we should be um doing iron you know being able to do ironmans and we should have um you know huge financial freedom and we should and we should but the fact of the matter is if you needed to set up emailing lists and and pipelines for your billion billion dollar industry you wouldn't have time for your 10-hour ride right exactly and and where your joy comes from is that 10-hour ride exactly versus someone who likes connecting with people through email and having that kind of funneling and figuring out those systems then it becomes not work but something that fills you up right and and to your point too is that you don't 
don't have to want to be an Olympian mm -hmm. or a Paralympian or an Ironman. You might want to do a sprint triathlon every five years, you yeah. know, and that's fine too. Like it's just, it's all about being true to who you are and mm -hmm. what you want. And so many people are so concerned about what it looks like on the outside yeah. that they can't be true to themselves. Mm -hmm. And that to me is really unfortunate. And something that I want to share with people is that it's not that I became an Ironman or that I became a Paralympian. Mm -hmm. It's that I followed what I wanted to do and I followed what makes me me. Yeah. You know? I think that's the big takeaway. There's nothing very glamorous about that. There's no, no shiny trophy for that. No. But it is what gets you the shiny trophy. <laughs> <laughs> it right? is, but it's yeah. still not a glamorous life or no, anything. No, <laughs> it, it, it's, that, it's that uncomfortable, I don't have any other choice but to do what I am doing. Yeah. For my own joy and my own happiness when it comes to this um, really dramatized ideas. How did you make yourself do it? How did you push yourself through through the pain and the relearning and the what have you? It's well, I don't really have any other choice to be happy. Right. You know? Exactly. <laughs> it's just what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, yeah. how you get to what you want. Yeah. And, and but you have to clear out the things that you don't want mm -hmm. or the things that don't serve you or interest you or, you know, that kind of thing. So So what do you think are um, sort of more attainable ways for people to start tapping into that? Is there something that you share when you do your talks as far as I think, uh, you know, a lot of it is really sitting with yourself and mm -hmm. listening to yourself and um, just finding out a what drives you, what motivates you, and mm -hmm. then B, tuning out the noise of what you think you should be on the outside. Mm. And I do that a lot through writing. Um, I'll do that through my journal and, you know, this is what I want, this is what I'm after. And if I if I look through my journal, the, it's, it's amazing, actually. <laughs> yeah. Like, the themes are completely the same. The even the words that I use, like I'll look at something five years ago and at something today and be mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, I use that exact phrase. So it's mm -hmm. like I know that that is what's running through my head because it was running through it five years <laughs> ago and still running through it today. Mm -hmm. And so that you know that's kind of how I find, you know, what are the recurring themes? What is it that I really want? Mm -hmm. um, because sometimes you get with your friends and you know, like my best friend, for instance, has four kids. And she is an amazing mother. Her kids are awesome. And I love their family unit. Mm -hmm. Is that for me? No. <laughs> and so, but when I look at her, I'm like, oh, oh, I want four kids. I want my life to look like that. Mm -hmm. But it wouldn't be my life then yeah. because that's not, that's not what feeds me. And so, um, you know, it's, it's so easy to look at what somebody else has mm -hmm. and say, oh, that's awesome. But it's only awesome because it looks good on them. Yeah. It's like, you know, you wearing your jeans and then me wearing your jeans. Like, <laughs> they look awesome on you. <laughs> Put them on me, they're not going to look so good. You know what yeah, I mean? It's so, not built the same. No, so yeah. you got you to find the jeans that fit and, yeah. you, and wear them and be okay with that. And mm -hmm. just say, you know what? My jeans are a size 12 and yours are a size 8 or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And just, and just be okay with that. Well, and I think when we look at other people and you look at your, your friend with the family of four or someone looks at you competing in the Paralympics or doing the Ironman, what we are envious of or wish that we had, you know, wish I could do was have the joy that you're experiencing right now. Exactly. That I want to feel as good as you feel completing your Ironman. 
not actually completing an Ironman because I would feel like total crap. <laughs> right. That would not be for me. But the joy yeah, that you're is. doing. And yeah. that's, that's very well said. It is, it is about seeing the joy that somebody else has mm-hmm. and wanting that. And But that's still, you know, it's still misleading because you can mm-hmm. see the joy when I come back from the Ironman. Yeah. But you did not see what it looked like <laughs> the morning when I woke up and I was like, oh, I don't want to be <laughs> exercising for 16 hours today. Right. Or, you know, the day I came home from work and I had to ride six hours and I was exhausted. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the day that I had to ride when it was 25 degrees out and I was frozen. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it's like. It's it's only it's it's like it's the Facebook thing, you yeah. know. It's like that's it's only a curated. snapshot in time, mm-hmm. and you you have to think that there's there's other things about it. You there know? is, and it's that joy that fills it up. And and to say now I don't have four kids that would that would not give me joy. I have one kid <laughs> um, that I imagine you're a friend with four kids because I know what one can do. It's, <laughs> you see that happy moment of everyone sitting around the table, and yes, everyone is eating and sharing, and that's a good one. That but is, but you don't see everyone's up at 5 a.m. and mom was up until 10 o'clock and now she's exhausted and this one's screaming and this one's pooping and this one's coloring on the walls. And all of that needs to be managed well and intentionally to have that that joyous moment. That joyous moment. And you have to go for that six-hour bike ride after work to have that joyous Ironman moment. Absolutely. I read an article a long time ago and I don't know... I don't, I don't know who wrote it or where it came from, but this always stuck out to me. So if this rings a bell with anyone, send it in. Um, is that everything in life has its pros and its cons. Everything is going to have the glamorous, shiny moments and then the stuff that just sucks. And it's a shit sandwich. Yes. <laughs> and you better pick a shit sandwich you're willing to eat. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you're just never going to get to that joyous piece. And, and for you, those bike rides are a shit sandwich but you don't mind eating it to fuel you to the Ironman. My graduate work to become a doctor was a shit sandwich, (laughs) and I really didn't mind it to get here to be able to educate and talk with people the way I do. Anyone else would be miserable. I would be miserable doing an Ironman. Anyone else could be miserable going through grad school, but it's what are you willing to work through to get that joy? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well said. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, so you have you've, you're a writer as well, and you've written a book. Yes, okay. I've actually written two books. Oh, okay. My <laughs> first book is a memoir, so mm-hmm. it's the story of my accident and and sort of my return to athletics. And my second book is a fiction novel. Mm-hmm. And um, my goal now is to write many fiction novels and to. Um, feature characters with disabilities. Oh, wonderful. And so what's your first uh, fiction novel about? It's a love story. Um, And it's about a a young woman in her 30s who is a wheelchair user. I don't know where I got that idea. I, these things just strike you uh, so She's kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. um, she she wants badly to be in a relationship and she's afraid she's not going to find love mm-hmm. because of her, you know, what some people would call a defect or, mm-hmm. you, you know, difference. But, you know, she wants somebody to see her for her and not for her wheelchair. Mm-hmm. And what do you see the importance of, of having these characters show up in, in fiction and in in the culture around us? Well, it's, you know, it's starting to become a bigger conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, inclusion, you know, and yeah. it's it's everything from race to religion to sexual orientation to, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. But it, it always seems that disability sort of like falls off the cliff, <laughs> you know, of the inclusion in, you know, mm-hmm. com- conversation. And it's not, it's just not there very yeah. often. And so, um, I, you know, I think that 
through characters with disabilities who, you know, seeing that actually their lives are very normal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just they might have a difference in how they how they operate. And it's, it's the same thing for you. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, a history of different medical things that would cause you to have a difference mm-hmm. in the way that you operate also. It's just not as vis- visual mm-hmm. or visible as, as me. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of what I'm looking for with these characters is to show that, like, we all have mm-hmm. differences, um, but that doesn't equate to good life, bad life. It equates to different life, different life. It yeah. just in the same way that the, you know, four kids and the Iron Man are two <laughs> totally different things, but they're both completely satisfi- satisfying to the people who own them. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's kind of what I'm going for with my fiction writing. I think it's, I, and I agree, that it's a really important idea to have this inclusion and have this discussion about it. And I love hearing conversation about um, visible disabilities and, and invisible disabilities. And when we start broadening um, this umbrella to all of these different ways that we engage with the world, where we think this should make things so different that you use a wheelchair to get around I'm hearing impaired and need to have different accommodations made for me in large settings we're still just trying to find our way in the world right we're still just wanting to be seen wanting to be heard and wanting to be able to participate and sometimes and I don't want to speak for you but I I certainly for myself this has been um, my whole life I've been hearing impaired since I was nine months old is that it has taught me a level of accountability that I think is a real gift Mm-hmm. And that we have to self-advocate and we have to push for ourselves in a way that, you know, maybe other people don't. And right. it's another kind of cruddy situation that sometimes can be a real gift. It's, a, it's an absolute skill. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think it's, I feel fortunate to have that skill mm-hmm. um, because I see people who don't have it and they yeah. don't, they don't know that they could develop it or should develop it or might want to think about developing <laughs> yeah. it. You know, whereas for us, mm-hmm. it's like you develop or die. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> it's like you have to know what you want, what you need, and mm-hmm. how to get it and how to tell people, you know, and yeah. and that's that's just a way of life. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it, it serves us well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and I know that at, at least at the turn of the year, we're talking about um, working down in the springs with advocating for um, – individuals with disability and making things more accessible. Is that something that you're still working in? So yeah, those are actually kind of two different things. Mm -hmm. I started um, the Denver Disabilities Network and the goal of that organization is to bring together um, organizations, um, corporations, and individuals with disabilities Mm -hmm. to talk about um, the workplace and how to bring more individuals with disabilities into the workplace Mm -hmm. because you know, quite honestly, that you know the um, employment rate for people with disabilities is is much lower than for um, people who are not seen mm-hmm. or identifying with disabilities. And so, the goal of that group is to kind of just have an open dialogue, um, you know, like this on different topics, mm-hmm. and um, you know, kind of get it from both sides. And then the work that I do at the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee is. Um, um, athlete outreach and education. So mm-hmm. I'm just trying to help educate athletes on the process and the things that they need to do to be an elite athlete and to um, be part of the Olympic pipeline and hopefully someday represent their country. So that's fantastic. So I have many hats. <laughs> so many hats. Well, and what I like in all of these hats, you're you're really reaching out and encouraging people to um, to to take hold of what's important to them, right? And to find that joy that is their own. Yes. 
And so in your work with getting businesses working together and understanding the needs um, that come with people with, with disabilities, with identified disabilities, what are some of the, oh, the, the hurdles or the misconceptions that are, that come up in these conversations? I think one of the big one is, uh, or ones is accommodations. Mm -hmm. Is how, you know, like there's an individual who's blind. I can't have them work at my workplace because they can't mm -hmm. see. Well, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. like, that's not really how it is at all. You <laughs> yeah. know, these people are adults and they've learned how to deal with their disability, mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, I, I can't drive, so maybe I take the bus. Maybe mm -hmm. I use Uber, you know. I can't see my computer screen, but I use a screen reader. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I think so many times people see an individual with a disability and they automatically decide for that person what they can and can't do. And it's so um, misleading. It's, mm -hmm. it's not at all, you know, the case. And so I think just getting people to understand that Again, disability is just a different way of living life. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean that you are disadvantaged and not intelligent and you can't do things and, you know, things like that. So yeah. um, th those are the kinds of conversations I want to have. It's kind of an ironic assumption, especially if you're, if you're looking at an adult out in the world and then to take this individual with blindness is to say, I'm assuming that you didn't actually make it to adulthood somehow. Right. Yet, yet here you are. <laughs> you've, you've figured out how to get your way through life. You can communicate with people. You have family. You have friends. And yet when I bring you into my workplace, I'm going to assume that you, you haven't figured out how to use a computer. Right. <laughs> and and it's, it's an interesting moment to take a step back. And, you know, there's a lot of conversation about putting yourself in the other person's shoes of, okay, what would you do if you were in the situation, if you just didn't have um, the the most common way to do a thing doesn't mean there aren't other avenues. Right, right. And I think it's funny because that, like, I, ke I keep thinking about that mm -hmm. sentence of putting yourself into other people's mm -hmm. shoes. And in one way, you're right. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, what would you do? You'd figure out another way to do it. But in another way, that's where the problem stems from. Oh, true. Because <laughs> people are putting themselves into my shoes and saying, well, if I were in a wheelchair, I couldn't do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's, you know, again, it's an assumption. Yeah. But, you know, like, don't don't decide that yeah. for me or for you. Because mm -hmm. if you get injured tomorrow and become paralyzed, you still have so much life to live and mm -hmm. so many things that you can do. You can do Iron Man. You can yeah. have kids. You can, you know, have a job. You can, you know, mm -hmm. do all of these other things. Um, you know, life life goes on if, if you let it. Yeah. Well, and I think that's a really fair point about these assumptions we make about what we would do or where we would be is that, you know, you had your various um, stages along the way of your recovery of, you know, needing to get out of that emergent care in the first place, but then doing the Ironmans and then getting out of that chronic pain and finding that edge of health and saying, okay, I just want to be healthy enough that I can sit and do my job. And then arriving at that edge and going, Oh, no, wait, I've done that. I'm going to keep going. And again, it's that double-edged sword of coming up against essentially just the right amount of adversity right. to say you don't know what you would do until you, you get have there. to do it. Right. Yeah. And, and for the first part, it might just be I just want to get out of chronic pain. Yeah. And that is a really good goal. And once you've scaled that, there's always another goal. And you can't set that limitation for yourself or for others. Right. Importantly, for others in this conversation. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. 
I love that you're bringing these conversations in and opening up and opening up these avenues to sort of change these assumptions about what needs to be present in a workplace. Um, do you see a lot of businesses are open to these conversations? Um, I'm just getting started, mm -hmm. so but I think I think that the, it will grow over time. But mm -hmm. you know, our first. Um, session was great. It was very well attended. People really enjoyed it. We talked about physical disabilities mm -hmm. and, um, you know, so I'm looking forward to the new year and kind of launching a, a very regular meeting time and different mm -hmm. topics and um, bringing in different guest speakers because I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be something that really helps. Yeah, I think it's something that's really needed. Yes, it's definitely needed. And where do you um, recommend for people to go that maybe aren't in that position of business and hiring, but just want to, to know more and learn more, to, to check their own assumptions. Are there good resources or good places to go? Um, you know, that's kind of why I'm starting this because yeah. I don't, you know, like I feel like, I mean, there are different resources. I mm -hmm. mean, sure, you can look up, you know, different things on disability etiquette or what, you know, what people are capable of mm -hmm. and everything. But I just, I feel like there's not like one really just great hub or really great resource. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of, you know, all over the place. But, um, you know, one of the things that I'm very involved in because as an athlete is, you know, there's so many different athletes with disabilities and um, I think we're getting to have such a look at, at people really doing extreme things mm -hmm. with disabilities that, um, you know, it's, it's just starting to be more and more publicized and, um, you know, so I think if you just look around, like once you start thinking about it mm -hmm. and start looking around, you'll see, you know, articles or um you know shows or whatever about mm -hmm. individuals with disabilities and um you know pushing the limits and that you know things that they do and that they actually have jobs and families <laughs> and hobbies and all of these things it's, it's amazing <laughs> they are yeah. well it's wonderful and i do love that there uh, there does seem to be uh, just a trend in general like you mentioned before of, of inclusion and letting that inclusion reach to anybody of any kind any skill any ability and and you're right the more we talk about it the more we see it the more it demystifies it yes absolutely yeah. Well, fantastic. And and you're now getting ready to work towards your 2020 Paralympian. You're, do you have another book in the works? I do, actually. Yeah. Yes. This is an exciting <laughs> year for you. It is. It's going to be a big year, a busy yeah. one. I'm excited for you, and I'm, I'm hoping that you're going to hit that 2020 year for yourself. Thank you. Um, so if you could see one thing change about the way um, we look at the world of disability, what would you, what would you want that to be? You know, I really think it's just that open-mindedness mm -hmm. and, um, you know, being able to see people for just people yeah. and just, you know, like not not making judgments. And we do that about everyone. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, you know, those biases that we, we carry them around because of our past experience. But I just wish that we didn't have to hold on to them so tightly and, mm -hmm. and let each new person that we meet be a new person that we meet and yeah. and to accept them for their uniqueness and um, you know for all of us to feel like we can be authentic mm -hmm. and we can be what we want and um, that other people get to be what they want and we don't judge it I love that and I love the sentiment and it's it's sort of a 
I would say it's not really ironic, but just this idea that, you know, through all of the glamorizing or judgment or anything that is made for someone with a disability or an athlete with a disability, it's this idea that we're all just looking for the same thing. Right. We're looking to to find our joy and find that level of success that we can push ourselves to and to be accepted for who we are in that moment. Yeah. And that's a universal feeling for sure. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us today, Trish. I so appreciate oh, you sharing you. your story. Been fun. <laughs> um, if, where can people find your books and find you? Um, they can find me on my website. Mm-hmm. It's trishadowning.com, T-R-I-C-I-A-D-O-W-N-I-N-G.com. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter at RedefiningAble. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for joining us for another episode of the Healing Ground Movement Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard and got a little something out of it. Now remember, the information expressed in these interviews is for informational and not diagnostic or treatment purposes. However, I hope you find that having the right information and resources can go a long way to helping you on your healthcare journey. Ask the right questions and seek out professional help.